Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. Welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb, and this week on our episode, we welcome Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum. Greer is a neuroscientist, an infant and family sleep expert, and a doula, just because, you know, all those things work together so beautifully. And she has a passion that is actually transforming many lives around the world right now through her work on nurture neuroscience. I have long been a fan of Greer's work on nurture neuroscience. She's got Facebook pages, Instagram pages, and an amazingly informative website um, because Greer really appreciates that early life experience in pregnancy, birth, and infancy really has so much power in shaping a baby's brain. So thanks for coming on the show, Greer. Thank you so much for having me, Carly. I have to say in the very beginning of my work in this area too the beyond sleep training project was like one of these things i was like you guys and tracy castles i was like yes there's people doing this amazing work um yeah so Yay. you were was so that before- to me in the beginning 
I was gonna, were, so were we were we around when you had your first babe or did that kind of when when did you have your baby before. it was um I start I I was working in a lab and now I think I just I just had my sixth year anniversary of leaving and it was sort of towards the end where I was looking forward to what I was going to do next um and I just you know was always so interested in helping mental health in populations and the early life work is so strong and so convincing and everyone around me was having a baby and I was like nobody knows about this stuff and uh and that was my inspiration I was like I need to just write a book that was like my first thing I was like I need to write a book and tell everyone about all this information and so I am finally writing it (laughs) um but that yeah that led me into doing tons of research where I found out what doulas were and then trained as a doula but also you know followed followed you um and your work that whole time as well so Awesome. Well, we're actually going to hear a bit more about your story and how you came to handle sleep with your little family. But Uh do you mind just before we dive right into that, just uh, letting us know a little bit about who's in your family? Yeah, for sure. So it's me and um, my husband, Josh, and our little son, um, Ocean, who is now three years old, and our other fur baby, Cthulhu, who is a f- little five-year-old fluffy white dog. <laughs> Lovely. Got to have the fur babies in the mix as well. Beautiful. Yeah. And you guys are in Canada, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so we're in Canada now. Um, and yeah, loving it. Loving it. We're close to our family. From the beginning of my uh, my baby's life, he was born in Los Angeles. We were living there for a while. So he, we were, yeah. So we started our family without our close families um, nearby, but now we have our families close, which is really, really nice. Amazing. And can you tell us how, how did you think you were going to approach sleep before you had your baby? Yes. So uh, me, myself and my brother were both very, very high needs babies. So my mom is forever changed by that experience and just does it like you know anytime she has a chance to talk about me as a baby it's the sleep stuff right it's like Greer would only sleep on me sometimes she'd sleep in a swing I'd I'd maybe sleep on my grandmother too and you know I'd sleep for 20 minutes periods as a young baby wake up every 20 minutes um and my brother was really similar too so that story made and so my mom you know, and my dad's side of the story was we had a crib, but we are never slept in the crib. Not even. <laughs> so oh. I, we did bed share. Um, and um, I also chose to leave my parents' bed when I wanted. I remember that. I remember leaving. My brother had been born and there was four of us in the bed. And I remember this night, I think I was around six. My mom says eight, but I think I was closer to six where I was like, um, there's no space in here. Like later, like, bye. I need my own space. See ya. And I remember <laughs> going into my own bed and feeling like the cool sheets. And there was like so much space. Um, and I loved Just it. So fish in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, 
And, and you know, I did actually, you know, always go back and sleep with my parents on occasion as I grew up, even all the way up to university. Um, but the baby stories, that was like, that was what I expected because my mom, it was, you know, the story has been told countless times and I was like, okay, I'm gonna probably have a baby like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably gonna have a baby like that. And so, so yeah, I was lucky that I came from that approach. Like I was, you know, sort of prepared. I knew that babies could be that way. Um, and, and then, you know, like I said, I was doing all of that research, um, as I was leaving the lab and then I I still want to remember when I found out about sleep training, but I, I know at that point I was like, wow, this is not, you know, going to happen. Absolutely not going to happen. And does not go along with, you know, helping a baby's brain grow. Um, the way I, you know, wanted and, um, you know, or at least put, put it, would put it at risk. Right. Um, based on the research that I was looking at. So, so yeah. And then I kind of got like, I was worried about, um, being an activist in sleep because it was so heated, right. It was so heated. Um, but I did help a lot of friends at the time with their babies. And that was also really helpful to sort of plan what I was going to do for a lot of, a lot of ways. Like a lot of my best friends were having babies at the time. So, um, you know, they would ask me and I was like, let's figure this out. Right. Like let's, you know, you know, figure out how the, a couple could help their baby without sleep training. Um, and that's kind of how I, yeah, plan my own kind of, um, plan as well so yeah I was like I'm not getting a crib um I'm gonna bed share and um and be responsive that was that was always my plan yeah I love that so you sound like you were pretty prepped like you had some realistic versions of how things could go perhaps even more like the like dramatic little sparklers that's what you sound like you actually were as a baby (laughs) yourself as well so that's um that's some pretty good preparation but how did it actually go when you welcomed your son? Yeah. So, so it was not what I had expected. Because, <laughs> Is uh, it ever? <laughs> not at all. Um, yeah. So I was not what I was expected. I was not expecting to have a premature baby. I did have a premature baby. My, my son was born at 34 weeks and we brought him home and I was like, oh, I did not prepare for this, um, at all. And, you know, I'm so happy to have the opportunity to talk about it with you because the resources for families, um, who have a premature baby and have a baby who can't sleep without contact, which my son was, um, it does, they don't exist basically. Right. Like James McKenna book book. I read it. And it was like, it's really not a good idea to bed share, the premature baby. And that was pretty much the only thing, um, I read. So we did set up, um, my son had his own little sleep surface right beside me in the beginning. And I was able to just like have my body right up to it and like have my hand on it. Cause he would just inch over, you know, to the side, like, it was like a mesh side. Um, and, and then by the time he was, and then there was no, end point so 
like to, to, to say like, oh, when might it be, you know, safe to have him in bed? And it, you know, when he was around term, um, it just wasn't even sustainable to have him beside me. He had to be sleeping like really, really close. And so I was just like, I'm accepting all the risk and going ahead with this. I think that's the thing too, because I think that's something for people listening along at home. When it comes to the safer sleep research and the recommendations around risk reduction, they are based on what is known in current research. But the problem with current research is that there's still lots of unknown things and areas that require further study to be able to actually fully understand. And premature babies is one of those areas. So there's lots of gray spots in there where advice has to be given because on what is actually known, it shows that there is an increased risk of Sudi for a premature baby, but they're not, there's not been enough research to be able to fully understand that or to know if there's an endpoint for it. And if there is an endpoint, what that might look like. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of gaps in that. And so for a family of a premature baby, it's important to understand your risk like you've done. And then you have to also work with the baby that you've got and if you've got a little koala baby yeah you it it can sometimes just be inevitable that you're still going to end up sharing sleep because you can't physically stay awake all yeah. of the time so you can have your safe surface prepared like you did nearby you can aim to have them sleeping in that separate space but if you're going to fall asleep with them having a prepared safe surface to do that on is really important yeah yeah well, was- thank you yeah, I mean, I'm so happy to talk about it because there aren't aren't that many places to talk about it, right? And um, absolutely, I think you, what you guys offer and the and in providing families with a resource for um, a sidecar bed, that's that's invaluable, right? I don't know if anyone else is offering that resource, and that is really important for families who are in that kind of position. Um. But yeah, my, my, my baby was a 100% koala baby. I could not even go to the bathroom with- <laughs> without somebody attached. <laughs> someone attached. Oh yeah. He was on my lap. I would, yeah. I'd go to the bathroom, bring him on my lap, go back to bed. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we had contact sleep for the entire, you know, beginning of his life all the way up to nearly eight to 10 months. Um, naps were all contact naps. I would lie down in the early days. I would have him in the living room and he would, you know, fall asleep on me. Um, and yeah. And then later once he was napping in bed, I would have to lie down with him. I, I, I was so productive during those naps. I would have my phone and I wrote an entire course on my phone (laughs) during those, during those naps. Um, but yeah, and it was, it wasn't until a lot later, like eight, 10 months where I could leave him. Right. Otherwise he would be waking up within five, 10 minutes. Um, and in the early part of the night, I would put him down in bed and he'd, um, all every single night, wake up 45 minutes or an hour after every single time. And I, that's kind of like when I would, would go to sleep, like I would, you know, do my nighttime things. And then that wake up, I would, yeah, that would be That's it. literally how my life was too, right? It, it, yeah. They didn't, not all three, 
there was definitely patches of that. And that was my time. As soon as I get the baby down, I jump in the shower <laughs> so that I could guarantee I got a shower and my husband mm-hmm. would be on listen out for baby duty while I had a big, long, hot shower. Yeah. And then I'd have my jammers on and whenever they would wake that next wake, that's when I would go to bed, which mm-hmm. was usually pretty soon <laughs> after, just like yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a good strategy. It helps you get to bed at a reasonable hour. Oh yeah. And I needed it. He was still, he, he had was always, you know, waking frequently at night as well. Um, you know, at least, you know, at least two to four times, you know, in in the early days and actually probably all the way up until, till the, till the end. Now he's sleeping through the night, um, nearly like he wakes up, you know, here and there. Um, we're still bed sharing. But yeah, um, I would feed him, yeah, all, all the wakes. Um, and he did, yeah, he did wake up, you know, pretty regularly until about two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's fairly typical of around that age. So with feeding, you were breastfeeding at night? Yeah. Excellent. And so with your, did you find that learning to feed lying down was a skill you had to master or did it come up yeah, easily? It was really hard. It was really hard. So I didn't also because um, my son was premature. I had like really deliberate feeds in the beginning in the first, you know, two, three months. So I would like sit, I, I would either like get up and like go into a chair because I was like, had to focus on feeding so much and like, you know, latch and position and all that stuff. Um, and then from there it turned into just sitting up in bed. Um, and then I think it was about four months and I would, I would experiment with, with sideline feeding. And then it was about four months when it started to work. It's hard work. Hey, like I, I found each of my babies, I had to do a slightly different technique to get the hang of it. Like my third baby mm-hmm. was by far the easiest. Like she could just like, you just lay it kind of in that direction and she'd shimmy herself over and she was good to go. Right. I remember my first guy, I had to latch him sitting up and then lay back with him on my chest and then like mm-hmm. turn him to put him on the side. Yeah. And that was the only way that I could get him in the the right position to actually feed. Mm-hmm. Can I remember with my second guy? I remember I know I did something a bit different, but I can't remember what it was. I just know my third baby, she was the easiest to feed lying down. Nice. But um I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it's a bit of elasta boobs as well by the time right. you did <laughs> your, your milk was probably like, yeah, I know what to do. Um but yeah, no, I think I, I think that rings a bell for me too. Like, like latching, sitting up, and then let a lying baby down, and then getting myself down. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then after that, it worked quite well. But and then and then I was still having to do. I would feed on one side, and then I would put the baby on the other side to feed on the other side. But then I learned the technique of feeding on both sides. Ah, uh, same side. I'm so jealous. I could never do that. My boobs are too small. So they wouldn't yeah. like, I'd have to like pretty much be laying on top of them if I wanted to get that top boob down there. But yeah, yeah I've heard, I've heard people doing that. It sounds amazing. Yeah, I've seen people doing great. that with their twins too, like parents yes. with multiple, like figuring out how to do a side stack. Like, yeah. wow, that is awesome. I know. That's a beautiful thing. It's <laughs> like next level parenting skills right there. Yeah. yeah that was key. Cause then yeah, I really barely woke up, you know, yeah. for feeds that way. Um, and 
And what was I else was I going to say about it? Oh yeah, I did get a lot of um, milk blebs from that too, which are like, what's another the other word for bleb? I think it's not a clogged duct, but it's when you get like those white marks on your nipple. Exactly. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of those, but I was like, don't care. I'm still doing this. I'm sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) And were they easy enough to clear? Like, how do you clear a bleb? Yeah, you kind of just like hot compress. Um, Yeah. Very good. And so tell me, like, if you've got a really frequently waking babe, but you've also, you've figured out this sideline nursing, sounds like you really embrace contact napping and things like that. Did you find you were still having times where you were really struggled like you were just flat out tired and and what did you do in those times you know what I was really committed to my sleep I like went to sleep at like eight o'clock often um the early days like the first like yeah two three months I was exhausted and my partner was luckily working from home so he would also he would take baby in the morning very often so like I would sleep in the morning um a little bit but once I did kind of recover from birth like once we were in the four or five month you know I actually did not have very many days of exhaustion because I would really be I I mean I was lucky enough I had really flexible work like I could write on my phone for work like while I was um napping but I would I was really dedicated I went to sleep early every single night like eight o'clock like it would be crazy if I went to sleep at 10 um and I napped like I was you know always napping so my son and a lot of babies will wake up you know for a short period for their first wake like an hour and a half or so and I would be so excited for that first nap (laughs) um and have a really really good sleep then Um, I don't know if I usually, if I ever nap twice in a day, but I at least had one really good nap with my son. Um, so I would either nap that morning nap or the, or an afternoon nap. Yeah. That's amazing. So it was like a really protected kind of thing in your day. Yeah. A point of being able to nap. It's fantastic though. Having the flexibility of work to be able to actually do that too, especially while you've got a tiny baby. I know for me, I really struggled to nap. Even when I was really exhausted, day naps were hit and miss, but I never missed the opportunity to rest. Yeah. Like even if just being able to actually put my body at rest was yeah. equally important. And sometimes I'd fall asleep, but I didn't really, I had to get over the pressure of thinking I had to nap, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like rest was what I needed to do. And if I fell asleep, awesome. Yeah. I love listening to Yoga Nidra recordings. Have you heard of them? No. So Yoga Nidra is the intention is to be a rest, to be, yeah, to be, I don't know if it's an active rest is what it's called. Um, but it's, it's a really, they're lovely recordings. Um, there's a book called daring to rest that Mm -hmm. talks about yoga nidra and the book has recordings online. And I think anybody can access the recordings online. Um, but I had that book before my son and I love that tool. It's a fantastic um, way to rest. I think I need to look at that. That sounds amazing. Cause yeah. I, I definitely am someone who has to work at resting because I, I am very um, energetic by nature, I guess, but it's more like I get that nervous energy going on and I need to have that 
downtime and get my brain to slow down. So that's amazing. Thank yeah, you for that tip. A great tool. I will say too, you know, there I definitely had a like I said, a handful of days where I was just completely exhausted, right? Like after a night of like an extra amount of wakings and I also was also felt lucky because I would be able to fall back asleep really easily. Like I would be able to wake up and fall back to sleep really, really easily. But sometimes that didn't happen. And I think my best tip for myself during that time was like this day, nothing has to happen on this day, this day, right? Like you're you're allowed to write some of them off. Hey, and that can be the best use of time. Take all pressure off. Today is a write off. Yeah. Recovery day. Completely. <laughs> and that's absolutely worthwhile. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, I definitely had plenty of those ones. I think it's important for people to know, even when you've got all of your sleep um, well taken care of, you're still going to have days where you are exhausted yeah. um, and, and it's okay to take those downtimes, especially while your babes are busy growing and needing you a lot at night as well. Did you yeah. notice any particular patches were really rough for your guy? So the biggest patch was age two at 24 months. It was, whoa, 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 whoa. It was, I was like, I don't know if it's because I've been supporting sleep for two years and I'm like hoping that it's like, we're close to like, what is going on here? But it was wild. It was like waking up in the middle of the night, like, okay, I'm up, you know, all the wakings and I have to like wrestle him down and be like, it's still nighttime. Like, let's relax. So it was like a whole thing. Um, and, and then my son was like resisting naps, resisting bedtime. He was feeding my, I love my, one of my friends, we have a babies who are the same age and she, and she texted me once. She's like, is your son feeding like a newborn right now? I was like, that's the best way to say it. Um, Yeah, so much breastfeeding. Um, And yeah, and sleep was tricky. Sleep was tricky. Oh, yeah. Also, like 5 a.m. wakings, which had never happened before. So it was like hard to go. (laughs) Waking up in the middle of the night, like, let's go play. Um, And 5 a.m. wakings. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That was the hardest. And and how did that end? It eventually faded away. It lasted, I think it lasted about, I'll say like maybe six weeks. It was a whole summer. It was last summer. It was a whole summer of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, And I bet like the sun being up late and coming up early, it also assists. I know I find that with Mm -hmm. my guys, like they get the sparrows on, particularly my oldest. He's really, I think he's solar powered. If yeah. there's any yeah. of sunshine around and he's up. That was it. Happening. It was late bedtime, early to rise. It was, yeah, yeah. there you go. It's really yeah. interesting because I feel like that also speaks to the fact that what is a tough period is very individual. Like we do see clusters of times that seem mm-hmm. to be quite challenging for families, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've met anyone yet who hasn't had a tough spell at some point. Yeah. with their little person so yeah. yeah it's interesting so if you if you wouldn't have called the four-month one your rough one but the two-year-old one was there yep. maybe people with the four-month one can hold out some hope that the two-year-old one might give them a miss exactly exactly yeah I was so lucky I mean you know what it's it's so interesting too to bring it up because the expectations are so important 
Um, I, I would say my son was an amazing sleeper as a baby, right? And that meant he was attached to me 100% of the time, woke up, you know, every th about every, you know, as a newborn, like every three, four hours, not four hours, he'd never make it four hours, like about two, three hours. But for me, that was amazing because I knew it was normal and there was no, um, it was just easy. I would feed him, put him, lie him down and that was it. I didn't have to do all the things my mom had to do, like pace the halls constantly, take baby for drives to sleep, right? Like I knew how, how much could be. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, oh, this is, oh, I just sleep beside me and feed him every few hours. Great. He sleeps great. Um, so that's interesting to, yeah. It's, it's very true though. And I think that's another thing to keep in mind when people are talking about whether their baby's a good sleeper or a bad sleeper, or, um, are they having problems with sleep? It's all so very personal about what people interpret to be a problem. What isn't a problem, what's a good sleeper, what's a bad sleeper. And it can really vary, um, I guess, as your expectations grow and change too, because I know that how mm -hmm. I would have explained my third baby's sleep compared to my first baby's sleep would be vastly different because I knew what I was expecting from her versus what I thought I should be expecting from him. Yeah. Um, so my reporting was really different. But, yeah, now I've just looked at the time. I can't believe it. We're already coming up to a half an hour for the episode. And so I'd love to hear, do you have a tip you'd like to share with our listeners to so they can get some ideas from you. Yeah. So I think my best tips and what helped me the most and what I think helps parents the most is like to know that you're going to get frustrated, you know, with sleep. It's, it's hard. It's, you know, it's, it's a hard road, but it's also pretty short. Once, once it's over, once you're on the other side, you're like, okay, I did that. That was great. Um, but I think having tools to, um, in the moment to, you know, to process your feelings about it in the moment, I feel like that's my biggest tip. And so, yeah, thinking to those, you know, like, oh, baby woke up again, or, oh, I put them down 20 minutes ago and now they're up, right? Like those, those really intense feelings that can come up with about frustration and anger, sadness about how a baby's sleeping. Um, and I think the tools can be different for everyone. So that would be my tip is like, find something that helps you feel better. So for me, it was taking some deep breaths and, you know, having some really nice, like big belly breaths, um, and thinking like, you know, what? look at my baby, like they need me right now. And I'm, you know, I felt really, really lucky to be that person for my baby and so I could return to that um and that helped me but I think there's you know there's a range of things that help people in those moments but I think figuring out how to get through those is is really really helpful absolutely and knowing that feeling frustrated and angry um is like it's normal like you're human of course you're going to feel those things but it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong and it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with your baby either um so it's those feelings can sometimes make people feel like they need to urgently, sorry, I've got a fly passing me. Um, they feel like they need to urgently take some action um, to fix things, but it's okay just to have an uncomfortable feeling and not really need to do anything differently. Yeah. 
Yeah. Feelings, uncomfortable feelings. If you kind of just close your eyes and breathe through them and feel them, they last a couple minutes long. If you latch onto them and then start like, you know, building onto it and holding onto it, then it will last a lot longer. That's another thing to know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic tip. And I do think that's a really important part of the mindset of actually working our way through sleep with our babes um, and not catastrophizing, I guess, when things get tough because it's mm-hmm. feel it can really feel like you need to do something and it's really nothing to be done at all. You're already doing all the things you need to do and yeah. it will be okay. And it's not always going to be like that. Your baby won't always need you that intensely. Yes, it all passes by. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Greer. It's been wonderful hearing your story. Mm-hmm. And I hope, would you be able to, before you go, let us know where can we find you and your fabulous work? Yeah, I think the best place to find me is um, on Instagram at Nurture Neuroscience Parenting. And I have a new website coming out really soon. So we'll have a, a, a link to that on, from my Instagram. Um, and I believe it will be nurtureneuroscience.com. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. make sure we have all that in the show notes. And if we if we need to change anything down the track, make sure you let us know so people can, anytime they listen to this episode, they'll be able to find you. Sure. Uh, and you also, um, you're busy writing a book. Is that yes. on the horizon or we've got a while to wait for that one to come out? We have a little bit of time to wait for that one, probably a year and a half or so. Um, but I'm very excited to share, um, you know, what I wanted to share right from the beginning on this journey, um, with, with families. Um, I just, my, you know, my wish is for all families to really understand how incredible the infant brain is and how much our nurturing care and responsiveness shapes our baby's brains. Beautiful. Can't wait to read, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for everybody. You can find all those links in our show notes today. And if you've enjoyed our show, we'd love for you to join us as a patron on Patreon, where we can get you into one of our private Facebook groups and you can join the conversation with some bonus exclusive content there as well. All right. Thanks so much for coming on, Greer. Looking forward to seeing what you're up to next. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details